Hey guys, before we get started with today's episode, we just wanted to take some time to thank you, our loyal fans, because we recently just started promoting our YouTube channel and we have already crossed 100 views. And we're super, super thankful for all the love, all the appreciation, and all the support that we've been getting from you all. So I just wanted to make sure that y'all know that we greatly appreciate it. And if there's anything that we can do for you all, just let us know. All right. And if you haven't yet, please, please, please go on Instagram, go on TikTok, and go on our new YouTube channel at new underscore CapsRx podcast. It's the same username for all of them. And start liking, sharing, and commenting and subscribing to our content. Okay. We're posting as much as we can. Uh, Monday through Friday, you always get content from us. And then even sometimes now on the weekend with our YouTube channel. And a lot of y'all have asked for some more financial information. And we've been putting most of that on our Instagram. But of course, you'll still get that on Finance Fridays um, on Instagram and TikTok as well. So another thing I wanted to mention since we're about to come into that season for NAPLEX and MPJE exams and licensures, if any of you guys are feeling a little bit concerned, need some additional help, please feel free to reach out to us, okay? You can sign up at tinyurl.com slash services, and we can do the best that we can to help you. Now, if you feel like you don't need some tutoring, you don't need any additional help, that's okay. Maybe you just have some questions. Just reach out to us. We'll, well, we can answer that. We can help you guys out. But if you feel like you need some one-on-one tutoring and you need some additional help, please, 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 I recommend you do this because you do not want to have to pay uh, to take these exams again or have to wait for that extended period to take these exams again because you could potentially maybe lose the job that you were offered or delay starting getting paid that pharmacist money. So if any of you guys are interested, please go ahead, go to tinyurl.com slash services and sign up today or just reach out to us and we'll do the best that we can to help you. And don't forget to like and subscribe and comment on our new YouTube channel at new underscore CapsRx podcast. Thank you. And let's get started with today's episode. Hello, and welcome to another episode of Capsule Rx Podcast. Today, I'll be your host, Dr. Jovan Lazo. And usually I say we have a special guest, but I think this episode will be legendary. So I'm going to say we have an extraordinary guest today. Um, we have Dr. Deanna Tran, who's going to really kind of dive into um, really the difference between community pharmacy um, and ambulatory care a little bit as far as residencies. Um, also kind of touch upon an academia component and talk about how you can kind of get involved in multiple different organizations on more of a national level rather than just on the social or lower level when it comes to your um, student organizations at your current pharmacy school. So those are some of the things that we want to talk about, that leadership, and then really kind of branch off between difference between community, um, ambulatory care, and also academia. So with that being said, um, thank you so much, Dr. Deanna Tran, for being on. And can you kind of just provide a brief introduction about yourself, where you are from, where you went to pharmacy school, and what your current position is. Absolutely. And oh my goodness, that was an introduction, Jovan. <laughs> <laughs> I appreciate that. And bless you. Um, well, hi, everyone. I'm so excited to be here with you guys. Um, I am originally from Silver Spring, Maryland. I am an alum from the University of Maryland School of Pharmacy. And then I completed a PGY1 in community pharmacy-based residency at Virginia Commonwealth University and Martin's Pharmacy. So Martin's Pharmacy is a grocery store chain. Um, so it's located in Richmond, Virginia. Um, and then I came right back after residency. I went straight back and um, became faculty at the University of Maryland. So I love the school so much. I came right back, <laughs> started as an assistant professor, and then um, currently serving as an associate professor um, at the School of Pharmacy. So I've been there ever since. Um, as part of my role, I don't want to kind of add that I do have a practice site that I work at. So I'm at the Family Physician's Office at the University of Maryland. So the Family and Community Medicine practice. So that's oh. a little bit about me. Perfect. No, that sounds awesome. And um, like, how did you decide on pursuing a community pharmacy residency and eventually getting involved in academia? Yeah. So I 
honestly, I actually didn't think about going into community pharmacy residency when I was um, in school. I thought I would just go and work in community. So I didn't really think about residency until I actually went on fourth year rotation. And I would say it was really two key community pharmacy rotations that I had that really changed my entire career trajectory. And I, I think, especially for students that are listening, this is such a key thing that the more people you know and meet, you never know who could change your life and who what opportunities could bring to you. Um, so I owe a lot to those two preceptors. Um, the first preceptor I had was in a grocery store chain, um, and she was the one who really opened my eyes to how what we call clinical, um, how clinical community pharmacy really can be. We were doing, you know, like screenings and healthcare components. We were talking to patients, doing MMSEs on patients that were coming in and just picking up their medicines. And that really opened my eyes up to how um, you can really make a difference in a community pharmacy setting. So I feel like that really resonated really well with me because that's what I love. I love doing community service. I love talking to patients, doing screenings, giving vaccines. That was always my thing. Um, so that resonated really well with me. And she was also the one, because I said to her, you know, I feel kind of late in the game. Like it, we're already on rotations. Can I really do residency? And she was the one that was like, yes, I believe in you. So I think and that it's always my thing when I talk to students now is, Sometimes just instilling confidence in them really can make such a huge difference in their lives. So that's kind of why I got into community pharmacy. And we can talk more, um, Jovan, later about kind of why specifically community pharmacy and kind of ambulatory care. We can talk more about that if you like. Um, but I, but when I was on uh, residency, it's really when I started talk, learning more about academia. And I really feel like it really um, helped me because I really love talking and working with people and seeing that light bulb moment for students. That's really what got me into academia as well. Yeah. And did you happen to do like a teaching certificate during your community pharmacy residency? Yes, I did. Yeah. And and funny, too, is that I actually would say when people ask me, I am not a public speak. Like, I don't love public speaking, which is kind of <laughs> funny because then yeah. I be decided to become a teacher. So that's just a, a thing to put out there is that you don't have to be a, a lover or feel like you're really great at public speaking. You can kind of learn um, to do that in your own way that makes you feel comfortable in teaching. Definitely. And I'll, I'll even attest to that myself. I, I have a fear of public speaking. A lot of people think <laughs> I get comfortable on stage, but I don't. Um, if you feel my palms, I'm like always sweating. Uh, <laughs> so it's like I honestly do have a fear, but eventually you just kind of get used to it and it just becomes yeah. natural to you or maybe not even natural, but you just get used to that feeling. And it's like, oh, well, I know I'm, my palms will get sweaty. That's fine. My voice might get a little uh, cracked up, but I'll just have a water nearby and I'll drink some and I'll just go on about my day. Uh, yeah. so yeah, definitely relate with the fear of public speaking. So you were saying with the community pharmacy, you were doing your rotations and that is kind of when you had that light bulb moment. Yeah. So what were some of the things that you experienced during that moment that you knew this was right for you? Was it like an innate joy? Was it, um, you know, your preceptors kind of be like, Hey, you're really great at this. Was it feedback? What, what kind of really pushed you in that direction? Yeah, I feel like it's a little bit of both. Um, so like I said, I was always, I, at the time, um, my, in my third year, I was, um, chapter president of the public health section for the students. So, uh, at our school, we had like a student chapter and it was all about public health. So like health fairs, screenings, vaccines. Um, and that was like what I was into. I loved it so much. I even thought about, do I want to do a master's in public health at the time? Um, and so when I got into this and I started working with those two preceptors, I was like, oh, my gosh, wow, like I can embed all those things into a pharmacy and also work in a community pharmacy setting. And I think that that was really what it was. But when I think about and kind of thinking about, you know, community versus Amcare, because I do think there are a lot of similarities between those two things. Mm -hmm. um, but what I love, though, about community pharmacy is that I can work with any patient that comes into my pharmacy and again, getting back to that public health component, which I think is key. Um, I wanted to be able to do that. I want to be able to help any patient that comes up and needs help. That's really important to me to be able to do that. And that's why I love community pharmacy. Definitely. You know, you're able to counsel patients, any patient that comes in and pick up a prescription, which would be probably a lot more than you would have. That's just within a clinic, right? Because at the clinic doesn't have any prescribing authority. Then they have to go to the pharmacy to go pick up the meds. Um, yeah. And, and I, yes, absolutely. And I think that dispensing piece is 
so key, right? Because a lot of times they're like, what's the difference, right, between community pharmacy residency and ambulatory care residency? But one of those things is dispensing. You have to like dispensing to go into community pharmacy residency. But I think that that's really where you build relationships. It's because you're dispensing them and the patients are coming more than hopefully, usually, right, more than one time a month. Mm -hmm. um, that's where you build that relationship to really get to know the patients. Um, and in an AmCare setting, I can't, because I currently work in an AmCare setting, um, I can't see the refill history. I can't see if they're picking it up really um, on time, if they're taking it, and the side conversations they probably have with that community pharmacist. No, that's a great point. So before coming into your, your fourth year, do you feel like you had any direction really on where you wanted to go with your career? So I felt like I didn't want to do hospital at the time. <laughs> mm-hmm. um, that was that was pretty clear. I was I was really thinking and moving in the direction of just doing community pharmacy um, as a community pharmacist, not doing a residency um, because I didn't I didn't love the aspect of working with those who are already really sick. I wanted to be the person who helps prevent them from going into the hospital. I wanted to work with them more on chronic conditions and adherence. So I was always leaning towards more outpatient pharmacy from the beginning. Yeah, so definitely preventative health sounds like the one thing that you're passionate about. You had that um, that light bulb moment during your fourth year, and that kind of pushed you to go for a residency in community pharmacy. So when you were Deciding to to do the residency and where to apply, what were some of the things that you were kind of looking at that you believed um, would be valuable to have in a community pharmacy residency? What's really unique about community pharmacy residencies is that the range of types of residencies is actually pretty broad. Um, you would get different types of experiences in a grocery store chain residency versus a, a retail, so like CVS, Walgreens, those kind of retail pharmacies, mm-hmm. um, or an independent pharmacy. So I think the first thing is really to, to think about what you might want to do post-residency. Um, are you the type of person who really wants to own an independent pharmacy? In that case, maybe you want to do that so that you learn more about ownership um, versus if you were interested in more about I mean, the corporate ladder. So then you might want to go into a grocery store chain or a retail pharmacy. Um, I like grocery store. That's kind of where my experiences have always been. And that's where I did my residency. I like that because I did a lot more with our dietitian. So there's more of a like a diet holistic approach in a grocery mm-hmm. store setting versus some of our retail independent. Um, and we had more. I learned more about the corporate level at the, for the same reason. So I think you have different experiences. I think I would look at that. We also look at how much teaching you might want to do. So some of our community residencies are affiliated with the universities. Um, so you might become an instructor. You might have that title. So then you get more experiences teaching. Uh, you might get a teaching certificate program with that program. So you want to take a look and see some of those criteria if you are interested in kind of pursuing that. Definitely. Thank you. And that's a valuable piece of information, too, because even within community pharmacy, I didn't think about how, you know, if you're thinking about maybe some upper level type of management, you want to step into an admin role, you probably want to do more of the grocery retail settings rather than one that probably has like maybe a compounding component and it's just like a one-off store type mm-hmm. of thing. So it's like yeah. really kind of diving into what are your long-term career goals and making sure that that residency fits so you can enjoy your experience. And same thing if they have teaching opportunities, if you want to step into academia, um, making sure that they have those opportunities for you whenever you're selecting the residencies to apply to. Yeah. So you kind of touched upon it. One of the key differences for community versus ambulatory care is dispensing. Um, is there anything else that kind of led you to want to do more of a community setting or anything that you believe someone who is interested in these things, community, a community residency or community pharmacy is probably a better route to go in than ambulatory care? Yeah, I, I want to preface by saying that I think both of those settings are really awesome. And I worked, mm-hmm. <laughs> I've experienced in both of those. It's just really about what you love to do. One of the things I love about community pharmacy, only because that's been my background, is that um, a lot of the advancements that you hear about pharmacy, the scope of practice, they actually are in community pharmacy, if you think about it. Thinking about contraceptive prescribing smoking cessation prescribing, uh, HIV PrEP prescribing, doing a lot of the rapid diagnostic tests. So now we can do strep and flu and COVID now that with the pandemic. Uh, so and and COVID too with Paxlovid prescribing. Paxlovid, so yep, all of I was going to mention that. 
Yep. Yeah, all of those advancements are really that scope of practice is in community pharmacy. So that's kind of where it where it all is, where the excitement is, uh, which is another reason why I love it. So yeah, I would say dispensing is a big piece. Advancement and um, the takeaway I would say is that there is that referral um, piece. So you have to get referred. Those patients are referred by the providers to for you to be able to see them. Mm-hmm. Yeah, exactly, and. Something else I'm, I'm wondering, I, I don't know if you hear this, um, it's unfortunate, but when it comes to community, I feel, I always hear about people believing it's kind of going to die down, there may not be as many jobs in the future. Do you feel like there's going to be a lot of growth within community pharmacy, or maybe the roles in community pharmacy will kind of adjust, and if they do, how do you think it will kind of project going forward? Yeah, I think that there will always continue to be growth. Just like I believe that there will always still be a dispensing component. I think, you know, there'll be less and less of that with automation and our technicians doing more and more. But I I also feel like there's going to be continued growth because there's always a place for primary care that is in conjunction with our primary care providers and other people in the outpatient setting. So we need that connection um, and we need that additional help and support for our health systems. Hopefully, I think that a lot of community pharmacies will move in the direction of doing more clinical services. So actually, I think it will move in the direction of looking more and more like an ambulatory care clinic. And if you think about it, actually, there's that in terms of the scope of doing services. If you have a collateral practice agreement, it doesn't matter where you do it, right? You could do it in a community pharmacy setting or you could do it in ambulatory care. There's no big difference, even though a lot of times we associate CPAs with our AmCare clinics. Yeah, no, I completely agree. Just like sitting here and thinking. It removes one extra trip, right? Instead of having to go to the clinic and then they order, they prescribe something for you on behalf of the physician, then you have to go to the pharmacy to go pick it up. You're already at the pharmacy if it's there. And I would love for, I know with more, um, with vaccines, you know, our, our farm community pharmacies are usually big, the big, um, big individuals that do that. But I think if there could also be some type of clinical services, I've, I feel like I've started to see some like walk-in clinics or different things like that. But if there's more of a clinic-based service in the retail setting, I could see really community pharmacy and, and ambulatory care just becoming one. And I think that's how it should kind of be going forward because then it's just so easy for them to pick up their meds. And you will yeah. also know right off the bat whether their insurance can take it. So it's not a back and forth about whether or not, um, you know, you send it to the pharmacy, they go to get it, it's too expensive or they need a prior off. And then there's this whole process when it can all just be done in one visit. Absolutely. And that's actually what some of our pharmacies are already starting to do, especially towards the Midwest, um, where the scope of practice is a little bit, um, you know, more progressive. And they have color practice agreements where they can do that in a community pharmacy setting. So a great example is strep and flu, where you can go to a community pharmacy where you can get the test, a rapid diagnostic test to get flu or strep. If it's positive, then with the CP, I can write a prescription and I can fill it. So all one stop shop. It works really well, too, when you think about it, If because pharmacies are open until 9 o'clock, usually, at least. Mm-hmm. Um, so then, you know, from 5 to 9, when you can't get into a doctor's office, and then you don't have to wait so long on an urgent care visit, you know, this is a perfect setting for that. Oh, well, I did not even think about that. Yeah, no, that's a genius idea, because the, <laughs> <laughs> it is. I told, I told you this episode was going to be legendary. Um, it's, it's a genius idea just because of the fact that I can't, there's a lot of patients that can't make it in between those clinic hours. And so you have to push visits off because of work or whatever it is. But if you allow after hours or even earlier than like a typical nine to five, then maybe they'll be able to make uh, more appointments or at least be seen by somebody that's familiar with their care instead of going to a different system or going to an urgent care ED where they not, may not be as familiar with this patient. Yeah. Yeah. And it works even better when you're in a rural setting because, you know, in rural areas, the only place you could get and see a provider, it might even be just your pharmacy. Uh, so it really makes a huge difference, especially in rural areas. Mm-hmm. Now, you said that's mainly in the Midwest. Maryland, you, to your knowledge, there's no places in Maryland that's currently doing that? So in Maryland, there are some places that are doing rapid diagnostic testing or point okay. of care testing, but they don't. we don't have um, the ability to do clear practice agreements where any patient that walks in, you can do that service with. Um, so not yet, but hopefully. Hopefully, yes. <laughs> yeah, we do have contraceptive in Maryland. We can do contraceptive prescribing, um, and um, I think HIV prep might um, pass in the next year or two. So hopefully, okay. they'll do that. 
Okay, so it, it's becoming um, quite progressive, and there's some changes that are going on um, in the future. So hopefully more more things get passed, so that way it becomes easier uh, for us pharmacists <laughs> to really right. uh, practice at the top of our license. Perfect. Yeah. So you went through your residency, um, and now you're working in academia. So how did that kind <laughs> of all come about? So you went from retail or community residency to academia. So can you kind of just attest to how that happened? Yeah. So um, as I said, I went from residency straight into academia. And um, and actually, it was really smooth because at the time, um, luckily for me, the University of Maryland had an opening for a, uh, looking for a faculty member doing community pharmacy. Um, it was for a grocery store chain. Um, and I was like, oh, my God, it's perfect. I my <laughs> my yeah. residency was in community pharmacy and it was in a grocery store chain. And then there's this open position just for me. Almost I felt like. Mm-hmm. So I went right into it and I, I love it because what I love about academia, I feel like, is one, helping the students grow. I, and I, I love that. That's really a big part of why I am doing academia. But I also feel like in academia, you are really the advocate, one of the advocates for the profession. I help um, in so many ways. Right? I'm helping the students who are becoming the future of our profession. I am doing research where I am going to publish and hopefully share, disseminate information for best practices. Um, I'm doing that in um, my organizations and my service. That's like another component of academia. So in those three areas, I'm really helping to advance the profession, which I really um, appreciate. And I think there is, even though it's really busy, <laughs> there is also flexibility in the job. I'm the one who makes my own schedule. So, you know, if my my daughter recently, the, my both of my girls had a Halloween parade at daycare. Oh. I can easily squeeze that in because I'm the one who makes my own schedule. So I appreciate that. Yeah. Um, flexibility is key. I believe that's something that we're all looking for as soon as we're done with school and or residency. And that's awesome that you're able to find a a job or a career that allows you that flexibility. Did you need like any further training going from that, going from the community residency right into academia? That's a great question. So even though I did do residency, um, you don't actually need residency or fellowship actually to go into academia. Um, and you can, you could be an instructor. So you could just come and teach certain classes depending on kind of the needs of the school and what they're hiring. Um, or you can become faculty. As faculty, you typically come in as like an assistant professor and you move from assistant to associate to a full professor ranking. Um, so kind of like a promotion based. Um, and as a faculty member, you have some component of teaching, service, um, and research. So that's kind of the difference between just an instructor versus someone who's going to be a faculty member. With that being said, did you feel like you were ready for this position or did you just take a leap of faith (laughs) and said, (laughs) I'm going to own it and just went for it? Um, I think it was a little bit of both, I'll be honest. I think I was really thankful that my residency program had a teaching certificate program. That And because halfway through the year when I realized I wanted to go into academia, I asked for more opportunities. So I went in and taught a few more classes to really help get my feet wet. Um, that was really helpful. Um, but I was also thankful that I had mentors because when I got here to the school, there was people who was willing to kind of help me get settled, help me continue to learn what's the best way to teach classes and be efficient with my time and all that stuff. So in some ways, I almost would wish I had more training and teaching before I kind of dived right in instead of learning as I go. But um, I don't I don't regret it. I don't I personally, at least for me, don't think I needed more training just to then become an academia. Mm-hmm. Um, I do know that there are some people that want to do more practice. They want to be out seeing patients more often um, before teaching it. And I can definitely um, appreciate that as well. I think that that's actually why I continue to have a practice site. So right now I'm only in my Amcare clinic half day a week, um, but that helps me to continue to learn and grow and see patients and talk about that when I'm teaching classes. What disease states do you manage at that ambulatory care clinic? Yeah, so I work um, with eight different color practice agreements. So wow. I'm very fortunate. We have like hypertension, dyslipidemia, diabetes, smoking cessation, COPD and asthma, hepatitis C, and anticoagulation. So I do a pretty wide range of chronic diseases. Yeah, definitely. You got the basic, um, the basic chronic disease states and also some specialty with the hep C. So that's pretty cool. Yeah. And pretty broad as well. Do you also have a research component 
with your job? Yes. Yep, I do. So my research, I help, um, I precept the community pharmacy residents. So I'm still, you know, participating in community pharmacy related activities. So I help them with their research. Um, I mentor them every year. Um, and then, but most of my research is actually in the scholarship of teaching, which I think a lot of people don't really talk a lot about. Um, but basically I'm researching and assessing, um, what's the best ways to teach or thinking of what are some innovative ways to teach and then assessing that and, and, um, writing about that and stuff like that. So that's kind of what my research is primarily about these days. That is awesome that you're doing that. I actually wrote <laughs> an article, not necessarily about that, but kind of talking about the influence that social media can have on a student's learning. And I it got posted, I think, earlier. It was earlier this year, maybe like February or March, in the Student Doctor Network. Um, and so I can't wait till yours comes out. So definitely let me know so I can <laughs> tune in and listen to, and um, tune in and read it um, to see if there's anything that I could kind of um, add to my repertoire with, with the podcast or if I ever get involved in academia. Because I do believe the tides are changing, right? It's yes. not the same as I always hear from other people. Like it was just long lectures and that was it or maybe some verbal defense. And then um, we've kind of adjusted more to like a team-based learning. Um, yes, that's kind of what I went through. And then I hear there's even more adjustments being made. So it's it's a constant evolution and growth because each generation is different. And yep. so I would love to learn whatever you come up. Um, I don't know if you have anything now you can share. I don't want you to give give away too much but if you have anything that that you're willing to share please do um but if not uh definitely let us know whenever that article gets made and um i'll definitely be be sure to share it so that way all of our um, listeners and followers can definitely um tune in and take and go ahead and read it and check it out i appreciate that um i don't have anything quite yet to share but i will say that we're super excited to do a pilot program at our school about e-care plans which is up and coming um e-care plans is kind of like a, a technology a platform to do uh, kind of like soap notes, so like documentation in an outpatient community pharmacy setting. Uh, so we're working on that. I've been teaching the students. And so we've been evaluating, you know, what they're learning is the way that we kind of taught this material. Is it working? Um, so we're super excited to be able to share that once all that stuff gets published. Perfect. Yeah, that sounds amazing. So there is a little bit of a research component. Um, you're working at a clinic, so you're, you're kind of have a mixed role there with the faculty position. But with your exact position, what are some of the things that you do? Because um, I know I'm I'm always thinking when I was a student, it's like, I see you guys lecture us, but what do you do the rest of the day? <laughs> so you probably, Yeah, I know. We don't just sit around waiting for emails, that's for sure. <laughs> you sure? Like yeah, I feel like that's what students think a lot. Yeah. I also feel like sometimes students are kind of assume that we have summers off, like as if we're mm. like in primary schools, we don't have that either. We are mm. full time all year long. See, <laughs> you didn't, yeah. <laughs> yeah, I didn't know. <laughs> yeah, we're full time. So we work just like everyone else. We don't have summers off. Um, so what are we doing? So uh, typically all faculty are doing some of those, those three components that I mentioned earlier. So they're either working on their research, preparing for lectures or in actually in class teaching, whatever that might be. Um, and then doing some sort of service. So like it could be different committees that we're on. So to do committee work or committee meetings and stuff like that. For me specifically, I teach a lot of the community pharmacy-related items in our curriculum. No surprise there, right? <laughs> so I teach in self-care. I also teach in our lab series. So um, that's kind of what I'm doing if I'm teaching. And then for my research, as I had told you, I do a lot of that scholarship of teaching and helping our community pharmacy residents with their research. And then for service, I currently, along with another colleague, we are tasked on working on revising our curriculum. So every, you know couple years, we actually do look at the curriculum and see what things we need to make changes to. So really fortunate to have the opportunity to help lead that effort for a curriculum redesign. Um, and then for other types of service outside of kind of the, the school itself, I'm doing more with the Maryland Pharmacists Association, as well as the American Pharmacists Association. What is one thing that you've realized now being on the other side, right? Not being a student too long ago. What is something that you kind of realize now that you never knew or you kind of appreciate now being in that teacher seat and that teacher role um, when you were a student? Hmm. I would say as, as a student and growing into a pharmacist and as a leader, um, I felt like I didn't take advantage enough of opportunities. I felt like 
um, I felt like I couldn't, I wasn't prepared, I wasn't um, worthy of that position or activity. Um, and I felt like I could, I wish I just had just tried. I feel like showing up and being there makes such a big difference. And that's really what I've learned as a pharmacist and getting into the different leadership roles that I am now is just being involved, showing up um, and being a part of it. What would you say has kind of been that light switch for you to want to be more involved now? You know, I think for me, it's more about like um, opportunities that I thought I couldn't get so that I didn't apply for them. And then later on, I realized I could have. So during undergrad, I remember reading an article by someone who said that one of the biggest reasons between men and women who have higher positions is usually because men will apply for positions whether or not they believe they are qualified for the position. It didn't matter. They just apply. Whereas women would usually, based off like this survey, women would usually not apply for the same positions, even though they would be more qualified than the guy, but they just wouldn't apply because they didn't feel qualified enough because they didn't meet every single criteria for the position. So I'm wondering if it's like kind of a mental thing where you felt you had to be the perfect fit for you to apply rather than just saying, hey, I'll just give it a shot. Yeah, I, I resonate like, with that. Yeah. yeah, I do resonate with that. Um, and I also feel like when I, so as, as a story, mm-hmm. one of the things was that when I was, um, a, right after residency, I got more involved because of my residency, really, I got more involved in the, Mar- the American Pharmacists Association. Um, and I, you know, felt like I wanted to potentially run for office. At the time, there was a new practitioner um, officer position that was available. So I ran for office and I didn't win that election. And I was like completely devastated. Um, because I, at the time, just like you were saying, I thought I had all the qualifications, had done so much, was very active in a lot of different committees. I felt like I was so qualified and it just blew my mind that unfortunately I didn't win that election. Um, and I could have kind of dropped off, I felt like, you know, but then this is a great example of how continue to show up, continue to stay involved. You never know what ends up happening. So for me, what ended up happening was I got more involved in the new practitioner network at the the American Pharmacists Association. When after that, I started doing more in some of our special interest groups. So different types of activities in the American Pharmacists Association. But what I want to share kind of related to this story is that um, recently, um, I am currently serving as the um, academy. There's different academies um, in APHA. I'm mm-hmm. in the Academy of Pharmacy Practice and Management. I'm um, in a member at large position. So this is an elected position. Um, and I recently ran and I was fortunate um, and honored to be able to serve in this role. Um, but the story is when I applied for this role, um, it's a slated position. So there's two people against each other for two of those. So there were four slated um, opportunities. So I applied and I was like, I'm really hoping I can get it. I didn't get slated. And I was like, oh my gosh, here we are again that I didn't get slated for this opportunity. But what I had learned because I had lost that previous election, I took a step back and I said, I need to learn why I can't seem to get elected positions, even though I felt like I was qualified. Um, and so I asked, I asked people, hey, can you give me feedback about why I didn't get slated? And it really opened the doors for me because I got feedback that I really learned from. I learned about how I would just was not sharing the right information. I wasn't talking about myself. Even though a lot of people knew me, I wasn't sharing the right information about who I am, um, about what my expertise are, what makes me unique, what can I bring to the table in an elected position? Um, and so... After that, which was really funny, is that a month or so after I didn't get slated, I got a call from APHA and they said, hey, someone stepped down from that, you know, pool of people who were going to be slated. And they had um, a new committee that met and they discussed and they want to put your name up for election. And I was like, oh, my gosh, this is amazing. And, you know, I could have said no. Right. But at Mm -hmm. the same time, I said, what do I have to lose? I was already not going to be slated to begin with. Um, So I ran for office and then I won. (laughs) Well, there you go. Yeah, it's a great story about how you should never give up and continue to show up and always try, even though you might not feel like you are qualified. So that was a really long story that I don't know how well I did in explaining. But no, I, I think it makes perfect explanation. It was a perfect explanation. And the beauty behind that was not only the perseverance you hear that all the time, like don't give up, keep going, 
but it's not about not it's not just about not giving up. It's also about what are you doing in the not giving up? And you stated that you went to get feedback. And I think that's sometimes a hard thing to do. Um, I can't speak for you, but I believe a lot of us in pharmacy were probably like top students. We could do a lot of things ourselves. We didn't need extra help, extra tutoring, whatever the case may be. So mm-hmm. you probably don't feel the most comfortable asking other people for help with this. And it's like, I can just do this on my own. So you yeah. being cognizant of that fact and being willing to get advice from others, consult somebody, basically get some advice, some some feedback, some perspective to how can I d- be better? And then that brought you to how you can bring the valuable information that, that you need to convey to your audience for you to be able to win next time. And in your case, it was just through the network, which we also hear is super important in pharmacy was really just the network that you built by asking people and showing like, hey, I just want to do better next time around. Having that open mind and being receptive to the feedback would also make you, I think, someone that they're asking people around like, oh, this is someone who wants to do better and be better and they're receptive to feedback. And so you probably get a lot of feedback in the position you're in and things you can work and improve on. So that just makes you more of a viable candidate for anything you're you're trying to achieve. Yeah. And I think that a lot of times people think, especially those who are presidents of national organizations, um, they didn't just get there, right? Like yeah. from start to finish, they, they, they also probably had obstacles. They also probably lost elections. They also probably felt at one point they weren't qualified. And so I feel like if there's anything I could impart is that all of us, could become leaders and all it's not a personality thing it's about just continue to try and also to do things that you're passionate about a lot of things that drove the the changes that I wanted to make in leadership positions the activities that I did is just things that I love to do and I felt like I wanted to do um, and that's what drives me it's not something you know like magical that everyone seems to have yeah yeah I think a lot of times it's so unfortunate especially with like our social media era but all we see really is the end result and we never see the hard work or the process to get to that end result. And yeah. um, I watch a lot of motivational things and listen to a lot of uh, different people that, that inspire me. And they all basically have the same message that success is within the journey and it's not the end result. It's you Absolutely. not giving up. It's you still trying. It's you figuring out, all right, this doesn't work anymore. What can I do to better myself or what new can I learn and add to my repertoire or to my skills to make me a better candidate if it's for a job or a better candidate for an elective position um, in a pharmacy organization, whatever the case may be. It's not just about not giving up, but also what else can I do to get better for the next time around? And Absolutely. It's, yeah, It's, it's tough, about that professional. Yeah. yeah, it's about wanting to continue to grow, about yeah. being that professional development piece is key. Absolutely. Definitely. And I feel like we just uh, motivated people. <laughs> I hope so. <laughs> I love it. I love it. This turned into a motivational uh, episode as well. I told you this was legendary. This is going to be legendary. I had to speak this into existence, everybody. Um, perfect. Okay. So let's transition back to, so we kind of touched upon academia. We really talked about community pharmacy. And now, you know, we're really talking about those leadership roles that you have. And I kind of wanted to talk about why you believe pharmacists, even though they're done with school, they're now just working and they could be involved, you know, in things at their job. I'm sure there's different um, groups and formulary committees, et cetera, et cetera. But why you believe on a more pharmacy organization or national level, why do you believe pharmacists should get involved, whether it's APHA, if you're a Maryland pharmacist in the Maryland Pharmacist Association, whatever um, organization. Why do you believe it's important for us to be involved? Yeah, absolutely. I think that one of the big things is that I want to be able to have a voice and an association, a professional organization, whether that is a local, state, national, um, they help amplify my voice and my concerns. Um, I can do that as one person, um, but I can make an even bigger impact. I can definitely be heard through the help of an association. 
Um, and that's what a lot of our association pharmacy organizations do is that they, if you're on a national level or a state level, they're helping to advocate for you, for their members, um, whether that is through legislation, provider status, scope of practices, all that stuff. Or in this cases of workplace condition, you know, we could mm-hmm. all complain about things like that, but who is, can help make a difference? Who has the money to, and the resources and the staff needs to be able to do that? Um, that is through our associations. And I think that that's a really big piece. Um, but I also feel like, especially because a lot of pharmacists are really busy, we don't have the time to be able to read articles and stay up to date on guidelines and stuff like that. And I rely on my state and national organizations to be able to give me that content, to give me those quick summaries, to give me those CEs, um, to direct me in the, you know, the little charts that I need to look at. So I rely on that piece and I can't imagine being able to be um, a good pharmacist for my patients if I didn't have that opportunity with my organizations. Definitely. And, and it's so tough to stay up to date because you said earlier, like pharmacies ever evolved. So it's so hard to stay up to date. It's a way to help you stay kind of current with what's going on and be able to advocate for any um, things that you believe should be changed within the profession and have a voice. That's the main thing that I'm hearing. And I believe a lot of us all have common complaints. We don't have to get into that uh, about certain things within pharmacy. But not everybody's trying to go get those leadership positions to make the change. So being able to really make a difference within our profession to make it better for all of us and the upcoming pharmacists, that's something that you believe is really valuable for any current pharmacist to do. And if there's anybody that's a little bit hesitant, maybe like they're thinking, oh, it's going to be tough time-wise or whatever the case may be, can you kind of talk about how you manage your job, your family life, and being able to also take on this extra role, um, being a leader in multiple um, organizations? Yeah, I want to start by saying that, you know, for those who are really busy, um, you don't have to join and go and do a bunch of stuff on committees if you don't have the time and space for it. Um, it could just be about becoming a member and then answering an email, right? When they ask for, you know, what are some concerns you have or whatever that might be, um, those small little things to give your input, because that's what we're looking for. I feel, and saying that as myself, as a president of the Maryland Pharmacists Association, is that I want to be able to represent you. And without any input from you, I don't really know what are your concerns? What do you want as um, your state association to help with? But in terms of getting into your question, Jovan, about how to balance all of my time, I think <laughs> that's always been a struggle of mine. I say yes, I'm a yes person. I say yes to lots of things because I always feel like you never know, you know, what the opportunities you could, that could be brought by saying yes to something. Um, but I do, especially with my kids, they're, they're young and they're growing, you know, they're, um, three and almost turning five. I, I have to set boundaries. Um, so I always, nowadays, I always think about what are my love and passions? I always make sure I do those because that helps drive me and, um, will always fuel me. So I have that. Um, and then I always set aside time. I say these are the time blocks that I definitely spend with my family. So I don't do any work on the weekends. Um, I always spend it with my kids. So there's like those blocks that I do to make sure that that way, um, I feel balanced in my work. Um, so that I can be able to squeeze stuff in like yeah. all of my organizational work. Yeah. Do you, do you do a time box schedule? And if you don't know what it is, I'll explain it. Yes, I do. Yeah. Okay. I do that. And I also actually keep a, a um, I use the Microsoft to do list, the to do okay, list. That, yep. Yeah. So I use both of them. That way I can really see everything that I need yeah. to do. Yeah. That's a great trick I learned maybe like a month ago, a month or two ago was the time box schedule for anybody listening that's struggling to get through things. Um, maybe I'll do a, a quick explanation of it on a, on a separate episode. Um, but that's something that you can kind of Google and look up, but it's, it's super helpful. Help me because I always felt bad that I didn't finish everything on my to-do list and it's just impossible. Like there's not enough time in 24 hours. So doing a time box schedule makes you um, a lot more efficient in my mind and also appreciate yourself more and be less hard on yourself for not getting certain things done um, because you just make time for what you can do and that's it and you're done with the day. Uh, yeah, and that helps thing. me. It helps me realize when I need to learn to say no, right? Yeah. So there's always a point where I have to say no to something. Yeah. So when I look at my schedule, if it's all completely full, like, that's that's it. <laughs> I'm yeah. sorry. This is the opportunity I'm going to have to say no to. Got it. Um, perfect. So thank you for that. Um, and you said that you're the president of the Maryland Pharmacists Association. And what was your role again with APHA? Um, I am the member at large for the Academy of Pharmacy Practice and Management. Okay. And can you kind of briefly describe um, some of the things that you do? 
That was a mouthful, so I can't repeat the second one. <laughs> <laughs> yeah, the, so for APHA, there are three academies. Um, there's Academy for our students, and then you have um, APPM. That's the one that I'm in. Um, so we have different um, positions as part of the executive committee. So I serve as one of the member at largest in that position. Um, so as part of the academy, we're the practicing pharmacist group. So we have all these different special interest groups, um, such as immunizations, uh, precepting, so different kind of interests. Um, so we serve a lot of related to what is APHA strategic plan, and we help with also with member engagement. So those are the big key pieces that we do um, for APHA. Um, for MPHA as president, I would say that my big um, goal and theme for this year is really about connection. So I want to help um, members build more connections, especially in a post-COVID era where there's a lot more virtual things um, and trying to get people back together. Um, so we've been doing a lot more social events, focusing more on communication, social media, stuff like that, and doing monthly videos. Um, uh, so I've been doing these like one-minute clips as a as the president. Um, so I've been having a lot of fun with those, and apparently they're really resonating really well with our members, which is really great. Yeah. Uh, where are they posted, the the videos? Yeah, they're actually on all of our social media. So we're on um, Instagram, uh, Facebook, Twitter, and LinkedIn. So feel free to find me, I guess. <laughs> yeah. yeah, definitely. No, um, just if if you know the name off the top of your head, you can you can say it. If not, I'll get it from you and I'll include it in the show notes. Um, and I'll make sure that anybody that's listening can check it out because I know I want to. <laughs> so, <laughs> so that way I can uh, start following you and kind of get those one minute clips. Um, cause that's, yeah, that's, I would love to. Yeah, because that's I feel like that's the way things are going. That's what I kind of talked about in the article that I mentioned earlier. It's shorter content, shorter, mm -hmm. more compact content is what the new age society is about, the new era. And having quick one to three minute explanation of this is what I got to do with Paxlovid. All right, got it. Cool, good to go. Yes, so exactly. <laughs> that is exactly what we need. I feel like yeah. I agree. Yeah, yeah, and especially because now we're doing even more. I feel like you know virtually. We have to find new ways to give information that's not just email. So we really, um, as an association, Maryland has really been doing more with our social media platforms. Great. And then what advice would you give to students who are interested in a leadership role as far as how to be a strong candidate to get that position? And if they don't get that position, what are some of the things they can do um, for the following year to help them get that position? That's a great question. I feel like I kind of alluded to some of those things mm -hmm. kind of throughout um, our session together. But um, hopefully what you might have taken away from from our conversations is that I didn't do anything spectacularly different from anyone else. I, I think the big thing is about staying involved. So for me, I felt like I really wanted to get comfortable, really know the association before I move into a higher leadership position. So, for example, I would start in a committee. I would get to really know the committee, what they're doing before I felt comfortable potentially um, asking if I could then be the chair of that committee. And from the chair of the committee, I might then become the coordinator of that entire group. So I, I uh, for me, my leadership journey is about moving up the quote-unquote ladder, if you were, if I were to say it that way. Um, and I felt comfortable with that because that way I really learned more about the association and I also met a lot of people. I think network is so important. So I think it's about getting involved and staying involved um, and that willingness to serve. Um, I think that that's really big because sometimes we feel like we've been kind of talking about is that we might not feel qualified to serve, but being there, your willingness to to be in that leadership position and to do things, that's a big part already. There's unfortunately a lot of people who don't want to serve at all. Um, so it's not about, you know, whether or not you feel that you could do it or you're qualified. I think just being there is a big part of it. And then if anything, also, I feel like sometimes when we look at some of our national leaders, they they probably would tell you a story like I've been involved um, as, since I was a student. And that is the case for me, for APHA and for MPHA. Um, but you don't have to have been just a student and been involved and been through that whole entire track. Um, I would say that most people who are involved in state associations started getting more involved as a pharmacist. Um, so don't let that deter you either. And for any students that are listening or maybe some residents or current practicing pharmacists, um, how can they get in touch to possibly get involved in either organization? 
Yeah, so for APHA, um, please join, if, in, uh, join a state association, join whatever organization you like, um, even though I, you know, obviously I'm biased about APHA. <laughs> As um, you should be. And, <laughs> and state associations. I feel like both of them are part of my pharmacy home. They help me professionally. Um, a lot of them are my colleagues, my friends, my mentors. Um, but for APHA, once you join, you can see kind of different areas. There's a research um, component if you're more into the research area. If you're a practicing pharmacist, we have lots of different special interest groups that appeal to different areas. So like if you're into transitions of care, if you would like to do more with compounding or, you know, so lots of different areas, you can join one of those special interest groups and learn more about what they're doing and the things that they offer for you. And then. Um I'll get some, if you have like any specific links, I'll go ahead and put that in the show notes. So that way anybody listening, yeah. um, you Love can go that. ahead and check out the show notes and go ahead and directly, um, either apply or reach out. I'm sure probably via email in any way that you can help and assist, um, APHA or the Maryland Pharmacists Association. Absolutely. And I, I just want to add also that you yeah, know, if you are, um, if you are a resident or you're in your first five years, I feel like a lot of people don't know as a new practitioner where they can do, what can they, what kind of opportunities are available for them. So just wanted to kind of plug that in that in, at APHA, we do have a new practitioner network, which a lot of people don't know about. So it's a great place to help with that transition. They talk about issues, um, whether that is financial or professionally or personally, like they talk about housing and stuff like that too, as a new practitioner. So I think it's a great home. And that was my first pharmacy home was in the new practitioner network. And I felt like that really helped me grow professionally. So I would highly recommend taking a look at that. There are committees, they have standing committees that you could be a part of um, just to learn more about it. And uh, for my last question, for the APHA one, that one's not subject to just Maryland, right? It could be anybody? Correct. Yeah, perfect. it's a national new practitioner network. Absolutely. Okay, yep. Perfect. Because I might join. <laughs> yeah, please do. <laughs> yeah, I like learning yeah. about investing and things like that. So any opportunity I get to meet with um, current pharmacists that are doing that, I, I always appreciate that. So, you yeah. know, stepping into the adulthood, I like to call it. So buying a home and all those things, getting some advice from others. Uh, would be much appreciated, especially people who are familiar with my profession. So that's why I would, I would love to do that. So I'm glad that that one's national. So APHA one is national. And then the Maryland one, you have to have a Maryland license, uh, active Maryland license or? You don't have to be a Maryland license, but you, you, if you would like to be a member and you're out of state, you can always join a state association. But I would say the plug is to join a state association. So wherever you are, join them because then they can help advocate for your issues at your state. Um, it doesn't have to be specifically Maryland. But if you are from Maryland and you're listening, please come and join us. <laughs> <laughs> Definitely. All of our Maryland listeners, please um, check out the show notes. I'll have some links for you guys to apply or for you to just um, gain some more information. Gain some more information about both if you're interested. Uh, please feel free to reach out to me. Um, we could probably maybe get um, Dr. Tran's information as well. Send out an email if you're interested and respond to her emails. She's emailing you about, <laughs> about some questions. Respond to them so she can help the profession, all right? Jeez, guys, we need we need support here. Um, so yeah, please do that. Um, if there's anything you ever need from me, uh, always feel free to reach out. But before I let you go, do you have any questions for me? No, but thank you so much for this opportunity to to be here. Um, and it's really great. I had a lot of fun. And um, thank you so much for taking the time out of your busy day. I know you have the time box schedule, so thank you so much <laughs> for being able to take some time out of your day to meet with me. Thank you.